Hey guys, Jeff here. This is a first of a two-part podcast ranking the top 10 fast food game changers for 2019. The second episode will follow suit naming our number one most innovative national restaurant. So enjoy part one of the episode. Guys, this episode of the Foobies Ketchup has a beautiful sponsor and their names are Dean's Dairy Dip. It's my favorite dip on the market. It's versatile. You can use it as a straight up dip or you can incorporate it into a dish like a true food beast. And here's here's what I've been doing. I, I do a grilled cheese with it. I lather one end of it with uh, the French onion, Dean's Dairy Dip. That's my favorite flavor. And the other side, I just put whatever cheese I have available at my house. I put both the sides together and I lather the outsides actually again with more Dean's Dip instead of a butter. And then I grill it up in a pan. And I flip it once. I cut it in half. I serve it and everybody's happy. It's literally the easiest, dopest dish you can think of. So I need you guys to immediately go to the store safely, go to the dairy aisle, Pick up some Dean's Dairy Dip, support the homies for supporting the podcast, support your stomach with a really delicious dish, and then tag me. Tag me on Instagram with whatever you create. Even if you're just dunking a burger or a chicken nugget into the Dean's Dairy Dip like a legend, do that and tag me because the more we support Dean's Dairy Dip, the more we support our Foobies family, the happier we all are. I'm saying, bro, it's just a beautiful vibe. So anyways, here's another beautiful episode of The Catch-Up. Welcome to the catch-up. Introducing your hosts, Eli Aruth, editor in chief, and Jeffrey Kutnick, CEO, and apparently the only guy who takes this podcast seriously. Of the craziest, most bestest, news-breaking, food porn peddling, viral website on the dot coms. It's crazy when your future is decided by an algorithm. Dude, this pizza is fucking crazy! There's not one person in this entire world that believes you. Alright, and welcome to the catch-up. Anyways, guys, we're celebrating our 100th episode today, actually, so can we, can we uh, pat ourselves on the back for still talking into microphones? I like that. <laughs> That's all I'm going to do. I'm not big on celebration. So, you guys, 2019 has been a very interesting year in the world of fast food. Uh, our editorial team has put together a power list of 2019's top fast food game changers. Power list. It's 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 going to be unveiled on foodbeast.com. So, if you're listening now, you can see the list on the website. Um, and we here might be geeks about all kinds of food. But we definitely never forget what got us into being food beasts. At least for me, it's been like the massive chains like McDonald's, Carl's Jr., Taco Bell. Those are the first things I could afford. It's when I got passionate about food around the college time. Um, And these chains like feed and interact with millions upon millions of people every year. So even subtle innovations on their menu really affect a lot of people yeah um and that's why we're talking about it today so we're gonna to talk through the top 10 we're gonna kind of unveil the curtain of how we made this list what didn't make the list yeah um and so today's guest we have food beast producer and food scientist mr costa spiru welcome costa hey good to be back costa yo good job man normally you say something and i immediately regret you being on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) i'm trying to keep it a little more you know 
with no, no, be it. you, yeah. be you, dog. Right, be right. you with I'll... your Hufflepuff sweatshirt. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Um, so I just want to just a quick context before we jump in of the the people on this list. We're focusing on the biggest chains in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ones that have at least a fair amount of nationwide recognition here in the States. Uh, some of them are very international as well. Um, we know that there are a ton of up and coming restaurant chains. I have a few locations. Uh, they're very deserving of their own list. And that's going to be for another podcast, another list. I want you guys to know that we have a lot of fun coming up. Um, some high level trends we saw was vegan and plant-based stuff. People are, brands are being more transparent. The business models are getting weirder and, and more unique. Um, and we've seen some crazy international flavors, but yeah. I think those are some top level trends I saw going I, in. And I think one downtrend is you saw a lot less of those kind of like wacky, I'm doing this because no one else is doing it and I'm just being crazy foods. Like, you know, like 16, 17, 18, we were talking about naked chicken chalupas and eggshell breakfast tacos and things like that. And those all really took a huge backseat this year. We didn't see like any of those to be honest. Taco Bell was kind of quiet. Let's be let's yeah. let's be there. So, um, should we just start backwards? Let's yeah, start backwards. Let's start, from, let's start from ten. Okay. Yeah. So I think with ten, this is one that I wanted to be on there. It's a pizza chain that offers probably the most versatility out of any pizza chain in the country, and it's Pyology. Dang, Pyology. So when I saw this break the list at all it's definitely the smallest i believe one of the smallest footprints on this list uh how many locations yeah this is one of the smallest for sure pyology has 140 plus locations mm. so it's probably like the second smallest on this entire top 10 list so what makes that some people out there don't know what pyology is they're not going to know what makes pyology pyology it's it's in the same vein right as the blaze pizzas of yeah. the world so it's kind of like that you walk up you start and say this is the crust i want this is the sauces here's the cheeses and then all the other toppings they stick it in kind of like that kind of we cook everything in the same oven kind of deal and you get it in the wooden like to-go box so Coast the cardboard to-go box because you're a pyology customer right you like you go there somewhat frequently yeah, I, basically every time I go to the movies, there's a Pyology right next to the theater that I go to. So every time I'm there, I'm basically at Pyology getting food. So is there is there any like stark differences? I mean, we're going to go into the innovations in a second, but you know, are there stark differences of why Pyology versus Blaze versus, versus Mod versus I mean, cuz I've I think I've had like a lot of them, Pizza Press, like I've, I've been to a lot. There aren't any stark differences in my mind. And I'm curious if you think there is a difference of why you go to Pyology. I think a lot of them are very similar to each other. I think that Blaze, Pizza Press, Mod can kind of, kind of all fall under the same umbrella. I think Pyology stands out because, again, it's just so much more versatile there's a lot more that you can do at Pyology and it caters to a wider group of diets than your blazes and your pizza presses and stuff like that because just starting off, they have six different crusts on their menu. Wow. I mean, that's crazy and almost unheard of. You have like gluten-free, you have your keto-friendly, the cauliflower crust, they do a deep dish. They deep do, dish is weird. You got to pause yeah. on deep dish for a second because a lot of these chains they they 
they default to the thin crust. It's something that you can build on the line really fast. Fast fired in an oven, yeah. couple of minutes, and you're ready to go. Yeah, but like, you think deep dish like a Giordano's or something like that in Chicago? That's usually like a 20, 25 minute process to bake. Right. And here's a chain that's saying we're going to get your pizza to you fast. Here's a deep dish on the menu. It's counterintuitive to a fast food. So I think that's kind of why it made this list even at 10. It really, it nudged off some people that we'll talk about later, but we felt that this style of pizza service deserved to be on the list in some capacity. And it's not necessarily the biggest chain out there of, of this style. No, certainly not. But we felt they were doing the most. They were doing the most to add to this segment. And if you needed to look for a differentiator between these spots, they have every crust you can imagine. That and they also cater to like the bunch of diets. Like I was saying, they have vegan cheese. A lot of spots have vegan cheese. They were one of the first to have it. And they also have three different vegan meat options. So there's, I think, two different kinds of sausage and a vegan meatball that you can get. So mm. not only do you have the option of just one vegan meat on the menu, you have the option to put three different vegan meats plus a vegan cheese plus whatever vegetables you want on a pizza and it all be vegan have you tried the the gluten-free or cauliflower crust the cauliflower crust i've what'd had. you think of it i really like it i'm impressed it's a little bit cheesy because it's like a almost like a cauliflower parmesan kind right. of base but it holds up really well it's thin crust it has a good crunch and it holds the toppings it doesn't get super soggy did you have to fork and knife it or did you just eat it like pizza I just ate it like pizza. You can't fold it. It's not kind of like a, you can't do like a New York pinch or anything like that to it. Like it just would like crack under that kind of pressure, but you can pick it up as a slice and eat it. Hey Coast, uh, producer Izzy here. I just want to know, do you know if they're doing their own meats or like where, do you know where their meats are coming from? Uh, so to my knowledge, a couple at least are coming from Impossible Foods. Oh, okay. And I don't know. I think that's the meatball and one of the sausages. I don't know where that third one is coming from. I think that's definitely something to note because as you guys listen to this pod, I mean, there's going to be a lot of meat alternative conversation um, because of, I mean, that feels like it's the strongest driver of innovation in 2019. Absolutely. You know, and so um, it's not it's not the first, not going to be the last time in this pod. But I think it why it hit our 10 list, even though with 140 locations, you know, it's not necessarily the the most scaled option on here is between the crust and the multiple essentially meat alternative options. That's a that's a lot for anyone to source and put on a, put on a menu nationwide. So I think that's that's you know one of the main reasons it cracked our ten. And even if you never you know even if you've never stepped into a pyology before. Yeah, and to do it at that scale too. And uh, fair note. So pyology hit number ten. What it did knock off is Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut almost made our list. Mm-hmm. Um, and and actually. I don't want to say it almost made our list. We wanted to make sure we noted it that Pizza Hut could be on this list. Yeah. I thought I thought a lot of their design and marketing was really interesting in 2019. They also won the NFL in 2019 is something to remember. Like they it was Papa John's was the face of the NFL and pizza for the past few years and then Pizza Hut picked up the slack from Papa John's this year. So yeah. they kind of entered a bigger conversation because they became the pizza synonymous with football. And then Pizza Hut hit us with that really dope cheese it 
Oh, right, look, right. The Cheez-It collab, the, basically the ch- is a giant oversized Cheez-It stuffed with cheese. I thought that was dope and brilliant. It, it came too late in the year, I feel, to really make any knock. And yeah. I, he, I'm, I like, I have to get this off my chest. I feel like Pizza Hut is getting cooler in a nostalgic way. If you look at their branding, some of the collabs they do on their merchandise. They were, their branding yeah. went old school, right? Yeah. They went back to Pizza Hut. Yeah, but what they didn't do was they didn't go full born into uh, that classic nostalgia. So I think I, I want to see them bring back some of the actual Pizza Huts, the yeah. dine-in. Right now, Domino's and Pizza Hut, they, they have their eyes on this delivery pie. Uh, this idea that there's so much money to be had on small footprint stores, like places that have no seats, no dining room, but they're they're handling all of it in delivery. So for them on paper, these like big tech guys at the top, I don't think they see like the experience that gets lost, this opportunity to kind of bring back true nostalgia. You guys remember the Pizza Huts? Yeah, like, the, the parlors. The parlors mm-hmm. with the salad bar, the Ninja Turtle game in the corner. Yeah, that was our hangout spot in high school. It was like after a sports practice or sports game, you would go to pizza hut watch sports and get a late night bite and play some arcade games yeah parlors are underrated and i feel like as people start looking and yearning for more experiences going forward because more and more people are doing delivery like it almost becomes a branding play they can't really think of it as like a bottom dollar type of thing where they're gonna make a shit ton of money immediately from these parlors but launching these big iconic huts these pizza hut parlors giving kids a place to hang out again maybe adults millennials like feed off that nostalgia put some tvs in there like i think they have that opportunity to to zig when everyone else is zagging yeah because i think the entire industry as a general when you talk about the big pizza names is going towards the model of let's not have tables and chairs in our stores if you're in our restaurant you're here literally to just pick up your pizza and walk out the door. And I don't think they should open up a thousand of them immediately. I think find some key markets where you think it could work and pop it back up, pop it back up, get people hyped. Cause right now there's no culture of sharing uh, uh, your video of a, or photo of a Pizza Hut pizza, right? And same with Domino's, like outside of maybe a cool sports gathering, you ordered a ton of pizzas, you could take that shot. Otherwise, you're not taking a picture in any of these Domino's or Pizza Hut pickup spots. You're not doing it. Because you're getting it at home. Like the way forward with all of these chains right now is that delivery and all the commercials you see on TV points to, hey, get these delivered. Yeah, and it sounds like a vanity thing, but really it's just about how people care about your product. So if you just totally commoditize your thing and you're super proud of how well your Domino's pizza tracker works, like cool, yeah, it's good bottom line business until like ghost kitchens become a thing and every local area can make really dope pizza and get it delivered. And then one thing that we'll talk about in our next and our number nine is that technology is becoming a little bit more democratic where Domino's definitely did some really cool things with their pizza tracker and their delivery, but it's not going to be Domino's forever, right? Yeah. So it's going to become quality again. Uh, and so that's why I want to mention Pyology made the number 10 because of the options, the experience, they're driving people in store. I don't think delivery is a big thing for places like Pyology and Blaze. Yeah, but I don't think it goes higher than that yet just because... Sure. It's not big enough yet. Yeah, it's not big enough yet. And I think once it gets to like... If it can get to like a few hundred locations, which it easily has the potential to do, it has good investing, uh, stuff like that, 
and once it gets to that number, I think it'll make a much bigger impact. And I think you'll see a lot of people who maybe would rather go to Blaze or would rather go to Pizza Hut or Little Caesars will be going to Pyologies instead because the diversity of options is there and not really anywhere else. I think we buried the lead a little bit in this number 10, not because of Pyology, but because of the extended pizza conversation. And I mean, I think there's a, a huge gap gap in the opportunity for nostalgia salad bars like when you talk about the pizza hut of old right there's there's specifically like a salad bar that you remember fire and Uh it's awesome like i remember the pizza hut salad bar as a kid who didn't eat a ton of salad being dope and think about all of think about all the restaurants at least that's in my head that were salad bar based okay marie calendars salad bar based soup plantation in super decline yeah Yeah. pun super decline and then (laughs) and then on and then on top of that it's like soup plantation fresh tomatoes in decline like if there if there is an opportunity for the parlor there is an opportunity to revamp the salad bar into something that people are excited about and i don't have the formula formula yet of what exactly it is but it's some combination of bringing the old school salad bar back with new and interesting offerings that people are stoked on to get as part of the salad bar again because i don't know if it's pizza is part of, I don't know I don't know what it is but that combination plus the nostalgia of a parlor because we we've covered a we've covered a parlor we covered Mountain Mike's recently which is like a big 200 plus I think location brand mostly in California NorCal started in NorCal and Lampost Pizza here in Southern California for people that know is kind of like a parlor where you would go after sports games, but they still exist for a reason. They exist because a third party space where you can eat pizza with a group of people and have fun makes sense. People you know? want yeah. it. And people, I think what happened is places like Jeff's talking about like Lampost Pizza, they haven't really shrunk in size. They just haven't ballooned and grown, right? Like, so mm-hmm. they don't, they're just, they're just solid businesses, right? There's always a market for like sports people, whether you want to watch sports, you want to celebrate a sport you just played. Yeah. You go to a Lampo's Pizza, you go to a Zito's, right? Like they don't close, they just stay open, but they don't, there's not a huge need. I feel like they don't have like the infrastructure to open up a thousand of them across the country. Like the closest thing is like Chuck E. Cheese, but Chuck E. Cheese was more birthed of like a Disney Mickey Mouse feel yeah. than a sports bar. It was catering to children. So I, yeah, I mean, did you guys know that, remember Carl's Jr. actually had salad bars? Did you ever go Yo, to one? Yo, I, wow, I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't thought about that in so long. So wow. the, the issue with the Carl's Jr. salad bar, it was dope when I remembered it, but I bet you if they did it now, it would be kind of gross. Cause like you just have like fast food, kind of work ethic tied to a cleaning and keeping a salad bar up to date. Like even your soup plantations of the world, like when the salad bar is not right, it's awful. Awful. It looks gross (laughs) and disgusting. And that's all they do is the salad bar. (laughs) So imagine Carl's Jr. where like someone has to like go from flipping a burger to answering the douchebag in the drive-thru to like going to clean the salad bar. That's probably why they took it out. But I think there's still the appeal there because Every time we share kind of like one of those pastimes of like fast food buffets, people go nuts. Like Word. Yeah, like when Popeye's has a buffet, KFC has a buffet, things like that. I mean, it's not the same thing as a salad bar, obviously, because it's hot food. But like there's still that appeal of 
having this all-you-can-eat option with fast food. Yeah. Real quick, before we go into number nine, Pizza Hut, if you are listening, KFC, if you are listening, if you bring one of your fine dining international locations to a major metropolitan, I guarantee you, you will be on this list next year. Dude, Yeah. speaking of which, so Pizza Hut, when we were in China, we went to one in Suzhou. This place was two stories, wraparound bar, full liquor license, durian pizza on the menu like a silky durian fruit baked right into the cheese how it was, was that? it was incredible it was incredible like I, we i was flabbergasted and this pizza hut sits on this beautiful lake oasis so you're you're, you're <laughs> not only if you want to sit inside i don't even mind you know you guys know my feelings if you listen to this podcast like if you can sit outside you got to sit outside when you eat it's beautiful but this place you sit on the second floor you could see the whole lake the beautiful city of suzhou and People overseas and and the places that we visited, they they understand fast food a little bit different than we do. For here, it's like so commoditized; it's not as fun. But like when I'm going through Spain or China, when you when you see a KFC, it's packed, dude. Like these people are fighting hand over fist. They don't have weird menu items either. Like to them, it's just normal menu items. But it's a different level of quality to them. Yeah, it's just like international fast food is almost a little bit more gourmet because. It's kind of like in international markets, there's this appeal of this American fast food mm-hmm. chain has come over here. Let's see why everyone goes and gets it. So they up the quality and they up kind of the aspect of it. So like I was in Spain at the beginning of this year and the McDonald's locations that I saw were like probably about as fancy as like a really nice fast casual spot here in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're they're dope. They're dope. So let's go to number nine. Let's go to number nine. Number yeah. nine. We almost didn't put it on the list. We looked at a little bit of data. We looked at the content that launched. Normally, this brand would be a lot higher on our list year to year based yeah. on how much they throw at the wall, how big they are. I think they're one of the biggest brands in the world in terms but, of quick service. Yeah, but they they weren't necessarily as innovative on the item side this year, but they changed the game in terms of the conversations we'll be having around technology, like you said, as well as sustainability. So this is Starbucks. Starbucks makes the number nine spot. So uh, they did a few things this year. They were really woke with the straw thing. Yeah, so everyone is basically fully changed over to what we jokingly call here at Food Beast the sippy cups, which is their new like sippable plastic lids that they did so that we don't use the straws. That's also Izzy's term, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, I'm not stealing that from you. That's your term. I mean, the the straws are interesting, and we're gonna get into the technology bit in a second. But I'm, you know, I I was pretty surprised that this made the list only because so much of the Starbucks innovation, when you, from the menu item standpoint, over the past two years, has tasted awful. Like mm. just they've. They've broken the internet three or four times with crazy colorful renditions of whatever. They just did it again with the all black Halloween drink, right? Which I don't even want to taste. Like there's no part of me after you've tasted a few of the innovation drinks that seem to be aesthetic and color based that like make me want to vomit. There's no like I can't I can't look at that coverage. It's in, it's interesting. I'm still a Starbucks consumer. I go to Starbucks more than you know the the third wave coffee shop in Santa Ana because of the ease and the price point and the accessibility. 
But again, it's like I'm never going to be that guy after having those trying those drinks to be like, oh, I'm going to make sure to try whatever's coming out of Starbucks. How do yeah. you guys feel about well, their innovation? There's really like two ways that they go in terms of innovation. And one is the one you're mentioning where it's they go for the Instagram look, the kind of drink that you'll like take one sip of and then probably toss in the trash can because it's gross. Like this was the unicorn frappuccino, yeah. the mermaid frappuccino, stuff like that. But this year in particular, they kind of focused more on innovations that were let's go around the quality of our coffee and innovate around the stuff that we're doing with the coffee. So probably their best innovations of the year were the pumpkin cream cold brew. Right. Which is kind of like My a... My girlfriend loves that stuff. Yeah. That drink, by the way, is amazing. It's There's no pumpkin in it, obviously. It's like their PSL, but like iced and with their cold brew. But it's just absolutely delicious. They also did a limited time shoulder bacon sandwich for the summer. Uh, it was probably one of the best just general bacon sandwiches I've had. So when they focus on those flavors of what's coming out, they do a really good job. When they focus on the Instagram, they just kind of toss flavor out the window. Are we are we like being used? Like are is Food Beast and every Instagrammer that's like putting this stuff up? Are we are are we being used? Yeah, we're suckers for it. Mm-hmm. Cuz you bring up a good point, Costa, cuz the shit that lands on Instagram is god awful. But what I've noticed in the periphery of Starbucks is they have such a sophisticated ability to try new flavors in their food as well regionally. Like when you're in for example Seattle where they're from, like they they're trying these salads that are like Mediterranean. Like they'll like couscous tabbouleh and stuff. Like stuff that you're not really going to take a picture of cuz it comes in that sealed plastic package or whatever. But there's no knock on the sophistication of those flavors that I tried and they're good. And the way that they can sophisticatedly uh try different things worldwide. Like pancakes in england you know what i mean like yeah like the, the way that they can do this and and be average to above average in these foods across the world is pretty magnificent so like just on a almost like a legacy hat tip you have to keep starbucks on your list if they're even trying half-ass at the scale that they're at like it's monstrous but the reason what really nicked them into being nine on this list and not just completely off it was what jeff was mentioning is their their app that they've created it's not new to this year but if you talk to anyone who uses the starbucks app they speak it's the best experience it's the best ordering experience from a like digital interface ever they do it better than tech food companies like an uber eats and a postmates grubhub they put them to shame and i think why we're putting them at number nine and on this list at all is the kind of amazon ability of what this technology can do and some of the announcements they made earlier this year about how they're going to white label this software for other restaurants so imagine the foothold they'll have when like the coffee shop across the street can utilize the same technology that Starbucks is using in their app for their services or the burger spot or whatever. So imagine Starbucks getting a taste of everyone else's order because their app, their proprietary app is so freaking good that other restaurants want to use yeah, it. Starbucks literally just became the Amazon of restaurant business in the United States Well, I, by like privatizing and selling that technology because of 
how good it is and now they're making it available for other people to use to become the amazon though you have to like it has to be ubiquitous it has to and, be and used so it I hasn't think, been used I think yet that's the ceiling though right yeah. is yeah with with starbucks announcing that again the the level of the and i'm assuming like four out of five people who listen to this podcast have the starbucks app on their phone and use it on in some regularity because the technology of when you hear when you're at a starbucks and you hear someone go i want half pumps easy ice half calf you're like use the fucking app well, well, <laughs> well one yeah but the, the fact that that's possible that you could do the same oh, yeah the same complicated order that you're telling a person that like you're hoping that they put on your cup right that's natively possible in an app and it's not awful. Like the amount of options in every drink is there are so there's like dozens of options for every drink from from ice to sugar to milk to what you can add to what you can take out, flavorings, fruit, whatever. It's the it's the best native app to purchase something and you know, and the on top of that, the pickup has been relatively easy in my experience i'm sure that there are, are horror stories of being able to pick up your drink but i feel like they've made it pretty easy the gamification has yeah. been really dope too and i don't think other apps are hitting it like that like my brother doesn't drink coffee he's not a coffee drinker but he always is talking to me about this <laughs> starbucks app i don't have a starbucks app but my brother does and he's going in and getting coffee i'm like dude you don't even drink coffee he's like yeah bro but like i'm do one like the app is telling me I'm doing, bro. I've been I've been working here. You know what I mean? And he'll order it for coworkers and then he get you know, it's like so whatever they're doing in that app that's that's gamifying it, it can be used elsewhere. And no again, Uber Eats, what are you doing? Grubhub, what are you doing? Like yeah. speed well, up. Well, they've created their own currency, right? Stars mm. are their currency, right? And I don't know what it is. It used to be something like 12 to 15 drinks you get a free one depending on like the size or whatever but once they made it stars where everything that you buy it's you know it's a reward system like anything else but it's in a wrapper that doesn't feel like rewards yeah. like you know when you go into like a cvs or a pharmacy and they're just like you want to sign up for this other program <laughs> and you're just like please never ask me again also maybe but like, <laughs> but like you get no so annoyed with it is like the way starbucks is is like it doesn't feel like a rewards program and they kind of nudge you natively so you know yeah. for like the past three days like they do programs where it's like you buy a drink every day you get these extra stars which means you get these extra portions of a drink and i think it makes people go ape shit because it's so easy like oh i'm yeah. gonna drink start am i gonna drink starbucks today anyway oh is there a happy hour that i can access via the app from two to five like these are all things that could be extremely complicated in premise to communicate and they found a way to do that yeah. do they discount on the app or is it specifically built through star currency like you you get something exactly they don't discount yeah. but even what what they expanded i think that was actually this year too is like the star program now applies to everything and even if you buy something i don't know like a a, a chocolate bar or whatever at the counter that's two bucks or whatever is like it now it still applies in some sort of um, proportional way yeah, so they expanded it to include not just like the foods and the drinks but also all of the merch so there's like the starbucks tumblers the starbucks like 
um, CDs and playlists that you can get, things like that. All of those are now also, you can use stars to redeem them. But yeah, Starbucks has long been known, especially amongst kind of like the business and the food communities, as having the best customer rewards program in the entire industry. And it's a true awards. I've been talking to a lot like QSR, quick service restaurant, like marketing directors and so forth. And a big thing is, is not discounting, but either giving something for free or earning it. People would rather earn something than get a 20% off of something. Right, so right, when you're nudging right. people in whatever newsletter you have and telling them that like, we haven't seen you in a while, here's 20% off of your ice cream. It's like, that means that's 20% you're willing to lose, fuck your ice cream. You're not gonna go get it. But like Starbucks, again, in a vacuum of Starbucks, they've created this currency of the stars that makes you feel good about earning it. And so anytime you're thinking of, if you own a restaurant or you're a marketing person or whatever, think about not discounting and thinking about giving. Like what is the true value? Think about giving something there. So Starbucks is a really good blueprint right now. And it looks like why they're on this list at number nine is it looks like they're about to gift this knowledge at scale. Yeah, to and, if, and yeah. if I was if I was like a five or six or seven location independent restaurant, and I was looking for my own, like going beyond the third party ordering apps. And cause I think I can get volume and also not pay those fees through third parties, but get the right app. I would license the Starbucks app immediately, like immediately. Word. And this mm -hmm. is like coming from, you know, the person who built websites and stuff in a previous life. Like it's a no brainer to me to access that technology, especially if people, if millions of people in the US already understand that technology, that's a no-brainer to me. Absolutely. All right, so congratulations, Starbucks. Uh, you have your Fubies co-sign. <laughs> All right, number eight. It kind of makes me cringe that we put it on this list. And I'm a, gonna be full. And honestly, okay. the next brand would ha ha wouldn't have been on this theoretical list over the maybe the past five to eight years. Yeah. Yeah, I actually remember like the first podcast that I ever came on for the catch-up this is like number one number two way back we talked about this chain and it was not in a positive light <laughs> it was about do you remember like the soy like the soy and the chicken thing oh yeah i do basically yeah. this chain used to use yoga mats in their sandwiches <laughs> guess who we're talking about subway has made the list again number eight uh, and there were, I believe there's about like three big things they did this year that we felt were like, yeah, they shot their shot and you, you got to give them some respect yeah. for it. The Subway one has been like getting more innovative in the past year and a half, two years. And that's something to commend them for. This year, I think they took the biggest strides. Like 2018, they tried out breakfast croissants and did some collaboration things. None of them were really that tight. This year, they kind of hit it out of the park with their three big ones. So... The first one that was probably the most intriguing and the most innovative was collaborating with Halo Top. I thought that was dope too. And I don't know if it resonated as well as I thought it would. Yeah. But guys, Halo Top is that really famous now pint of ice cream where the calories are on the front. It's it's protein forward. It's calorie less. Like it's, it's, it's a good ice cream. And they became the top pint in, in 2017 or 18. Like, yeah. yeah. This like homegrown pint immediately like topples briars and, and dryers ben and, and Ben and Jerry's is the top pint. So it, 
in all intents and purposes, it made sense. It was a good curation of an ice cream if you're going to put one on your menu. So they decided to do these basically healthy milkshakes at a couple hundred of the Starbucks loca- uh, at the subway locations, excuse me. And what's wild about that is there's not like an infrastructure in a subway to make milkshakes already. Right. Like there's no yeah. machine for it. So they're they're taking a leap of faith that this is going to work. I thought the brands actually kind of worked. Like Halo Top was hitting this maturity where it was like getting too popular. So it was okay to be in a subway. Well, subway that needed that cosign from a brand on the quote unquote coming up. up. Yeah. So it yeah. worked for a second. And that and protein ice cream just over the past two years has become so ubiquitous across the entire industry now. Everyone from grocery stores creating their own third party labels or private label ice creams to competitors just making their own variations everyone has a protein ice cream these days so how does halo top differentiate collab with subway and make a milkshake again so i don't know there's more of a shot that they took i don't think it's still on the menu i have no idea but i don't that that was a really interesting thing i commend Um, them for taking the chance on it at least and hopefully it expands i would love to see protein forward milkshakes yeah uh, I thought their Beyond Meat collab, again, we're going to talk on this list, Beyond Meat collaborated with quite a few brands on here. So just because they did collaborate doesn't mean they're immediately on this list. But I had never seen a meatball sub completely vegan on a chain as big as Subway. And so they launched a meatless meatball. So anyone in the room try it? I actually didn't try it. So I tried it because I've had probably the first big like news breaking iteration of the meatball sub which was when disneyland did theirs oh right a few years ago and i would say it's about on par with what i had at disneyland now, that one was good i did have that one yeah so disneyland delicious. used impossible when mm. they did theirs and they kept this time this year they did all vegan the year before it was vegetarian because they used cheese still yeah and subway did a pretty good job in terms of like comparison like the beyond meat 2.0 is so good on texture when it comes to things that aren't burgers. So in a meatball setting, it works great. Was that an LTO beyond? No, it's uh, it's testing in about 600 locations right now. Okay. Yeah. Can I go out and get it? I don't, I'm not sure if it's in the Los Angeles area. I don't think they tested in that area. But if you're in one of the areas that was testing, I think closest to us is Colorado. You can get it. It's over 685 locations that they're trying it at. So it's a decent sized test. Again, Subway's footprint is huge. So it's pretty small compared to that. Um, but what I liked is they they really dabbled with some of their core stuff. Like I like that they earlier this year, they also were starting to bake King's Hawaiian bread. Yeah, that was stores, a new like, one. Which is baller because full disclosure, King's Hawaiian is like a really awesome partner of ours. But uh, the fact that they pick a new bread, like Subway's known for baking their own so this the fact that they decided to pick an outside brand to bring in and kind of uh dig into their culture a little bit and utilize some of their fan base i thought that was pretty unique and the fact that this is one of the few places at scale that you can get freshly baked king's hawaiian from fast food was was dope yeah i don't think anyone had the fresh baked everyone else was just using the ones that king's hawaiian would send to them yeah like arby's before. and all that yeah yeah because arby's would use like the king's hawaiian like the little slider the sweet rolls as slider buns or they had a couple of like bigger sandwiches that would use like the round loaves but this was the first time that anyone was saying hey let's get the bread from king's hawaiian still in dough form and bake it ourselves yeah and i think i'm gonna see a common trend with a lot of stuff on this podcast is when 
as a business that has scale, when you're willing to look at the core of your business and say, hey, let's change it up, right? Let's introduce a third party bread. Let's introduce beyond into a meatball sandwich that the meatball sandwich has been like iconic for a hundred years, right? Then that's where I think we start to give a, a certain amount of credential toward because there's there's risk involved yeah. with those decisions, right? You have a core customer that probably doesn't like all that change, but I think in Subway's case, they needed to be on this list a lot sooner than 2019. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. Like, because ever Subway post $5 footlong, I think has been increasingly just a non-relevant brand in, in the QSR space. So as much as I'm tipping our collective food beast cap to Subway, I'm really curious how that actually is going to affect, this innovation is going to affect franchisees, store owners, lo subway locations because of their scale and they haven't had innovation for so long. I mean, I really, outside of a quick bite in a pinch, really don't tend to think of them that way and I don't think any of my peers do either. Yeah. Subway had the hardest hill to climb of literally any fast food I can try to muster up in my head right now. Like of how big they were to deal with some of their health bullshit with like the the yoga mat uh, controversy to having your key mascot being an awful human being, yeah. like a terrible, te like it's almost worse than a racist. Like, the, you know what I mean? So like, it's hard to come back oh, from that. Oh, Papa yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Again, they're both awful. god awful, yeah. but yeah. it's like, imagine Mickey Mouse coming out one day and just being like just a terrible mascot. And how does your brand come back from that? So the fact that they're just not in rubble right. is, is- Says a lot. Says a yeah. lot. So I agree that they should have been on this list a lot faster, but what do you do? What do you do when your key mascot around the biggest campaign probably fast food has ever seen in a discount value model in the $5 foot long with Jared the Rapist was that, you know, that's gone. That's yeah. in shambles. And it, it's, I know that's the mascot. That guy's hired. He's not, not making your sandwiches, obviously, but you can't unsee it. Right. You can't yeah. unsee it. That's We're still talking about it right now. And like Subway's strategy for so long was to try to go back to, hey, we're a value brand people will come and get our sandwiches for cheap they tried to bring back the five dollar foot loan and they couldn't because the prices were just too low for their franchisees there was like revolts and clap back and fight back against that and now you're seeing like chains like jimmy john's doing the five dollar foot loan or other discount sandwiches at a better like model than what subway has now so subway is losing that so they need something to differentiate themselves and it has to be at this point yeah i think innovation jimmy john's could have could have used a pretty decent notable consideration yeah. for this list i think like for how fast they grew um the sandwiches are really good they have turmoil at the top <laughs> you know what i mean I yeah i mean talking about a brand with turmoil right now i mean i think jimmy john's is at least in if that was a separate list of brands in turmoil i mean jimmy john's is up there and so i don't know you know if you're talking about net overall brand equity in the sense of did they improve or not improve from their five dollar essentially like footlong innovations to all the stuff that's getting headlines, like I think it's a net loss for Jimmy John's in 2019, and so that's a well, bummer too because it does overshadow that net loss. I agree with because it's just a bummer because Jimmy John's branding 
is amazing. It's it's tight. It's, yeah. Have you guys yeah. seen the Lil John uh, new commercial that just came out? I saw it during the World Series because they're introducing their little John that's like three dollars. It's like the smallest. Uh, right. Jimmy John sandwich. Yeah, that was one of the ones. And then I was little John about. comes out and he just does all his catchphrases and like that's their thing. <laughs> they they got funny marketing, man. It's good and and the speed of the Jimmy Johns has always been the core a uh, core branding element of there. So you know all all of that is great. Again, it was just unfortunate what happens at the top sometimes that just overshadows it and just like all, the best marketing in the world can't get you out from under just weird Bad whack PR, leadership man. that you just yeah. can't you can't overcome it's it's tough this climate's really tough you got to be a good person guys yeah <laughs> um let's jump i okay guys so this is number seven and again this list was created with with data in mind with group discussion in mind we talk about food all the time we're not all going to agree i don't know why this is at number seven on our list i but have a i made a huge case for this one and i think it's on this list because these guys had the biggest guts out of anybody that I've seen in terms of innovation in Let's, 2019. The innovation itself maybe didn't translate as much, but for being going as far out as they did. Bruh, so, okay, first of all, watch your tone. <laughs> <laughs> guts is a very big word. Uh, so we're talking about Panda Express. It's number seven on our list of uh, fast food game changers of 2019. What the fuck are you talking about, though? Guts, like because they're Szechuan chicken. Yeah, like oh, they're so brave. You're a brand that's made billions off of Chinese fast food. It took you this long to put Szechuan into the mouths of Americans. Like your mission as a company is to bring the flavors of China to like a palate of an American who needs it. So like, yes, I'm proud of them for finally bringing Szechuan in some capacity, but it was almost like a patronizing. I see why it didn't do amazing. It was almost like a patronizing way. So the only way these dumb fucking Americans are gonna like Szechuan is if we put it on chicken tenders. like, just put it on chicken and put it on top of rice and let's go to town. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I agree with it at number seven. Do you think it should be on the list? I don't even know. Here's what, here's what I like about Panda Express. And then I'll tell you why it shouldn't be on the list. I like that they have like an innovation tea house where it's, uh, I believe it's here in Southern California and they try fun things like scallion pancake burritos, yeah. right? That's where the chow mein burrito was birthed, but it's not on every menu. So I think they have good marketing about this like little restaurant that they have where they try things, but it's not very brave or innovative if it just lives and dies in that place, right? Cause like all the major brands here have innovation kitchens that try wacky shit that they don't talk about because it doesn't it's not going to be on their menu so like unless they're just looking for content which is what they do and they use food beasts to that extent like we're we're the catalyst of it like we'll keep going to that kitchen talking about the chow mein burrito that only people in california can get so i don't think it's very gutsy or brave in my opinion i just think like your panda express did I think you innovated at large this year? No, I mean you've. I'm not gonna pad. I'm gonna pad you on the back for just the legacy that you have. That like I still go. In, I still love Pan Express. I go in there. I'll go in there once, maybe every two months, and really enjoy some Panda when I see it. I'm hungry. But it, did I think they were gutsy this year? Nah. Here's Co why I think Costa. Go. <laughs> yeah. So here's why I think they are gutsy, and why I think you're wrong, Eli. Is Preto. Is because doing Sichuan food in particular is a gutsy move, especially for Panda Express. Panda Express has always been 
that Chinese American spot. And Chinese American food has this certain flavor palette. It's sweet and savory with a little bit of spice. Like you think Asian American, Chinese American, the first thing that comes to mind is orange chicken. To then go out and say, I'm going to take this flavor palette from another region of China that has a lot of traction around us in Southern California and in the immediate region, but maybe not as much everywhere else and introduce it on a national scale when maybe not everyone else knows too much about it yet and say, I'm going to feature Sichuan peppercorn Mm. as this featured flavor when like the majority of my market may not know about it is an extremely bold move. I think it's boring. Here's why. I love Szechuan flavor. It's an incredible, complex, spicy food. Incredible. If you're Panda Express, this billion dollar, exquisite restaurant that's been a... Beacon? It's been a lens for Americans to try to understand Chinese food. I hate that that's what it is, but but that's what it is, right? Like, yes, there's amazing small mom and pop Chinese food spots and and they represent all the different regions of China. We have Panda Express and it's the biggest fucking thing. So I don't think conveying spicy food in 2019 going into 2020 is that hard of a thing, especially with like Nashville hot being on every fucking menu possible. So spicy food is not a new thing to our palates. So it might be on Panda Express for explaining Szechuan wrong if it's not if it's not taking off. Tell tell Americans it's spicy. It's very spicy and let them kind of because you're going to look with one of the top people on our list which we'll talk about you just have to hit them with something loud and let people try to find the nuance because if you try to lead with explaining the nuance we're too dumb for that we don't understand it so i think why i don't believe it should be seven on this list is you messed up like it might have been quote unquote gutsy to try to put it on this list, but you faltered in explaining it to the American people where the entire time you've been Pan Express, you've been so good at explaining everything else. Yeah, and I'm going to take a middle ground here for the most part, but I still think they should be on this list because Panda Express would kill its business if they actually put something really Szechuan on their menu. Like it would make it would actually just make no sense because the people who are going to Panda Express like aren't coming for that. And so if they were to put a full on, like the menu that we had at Chengdu Taste, right? Like the full on like Szechuan peppercorn, numbing sensation throughout like your lips, your mouth, your throat, whatever, because of, and then just draining in sweat is like, that's what I've had Szechuan cuisine maybe three or four times. So I'm not an expert, but every time I've had it, I've had a similar like scalp tingling, like I'm hot, this is crazy sensation, and it's delicious, and it punches you in face with flavor. Yeah. When The last time I was at the Panda Express with the 18 other people in line that were with me, if they ordered that because they wanted something new, I think they might never come back. So I think that's like the first thing why they filter it down. I'm not saying that's innovative. I'm just saying that the only way they can do peppercorn is by filtering it through this American palate. But then on, on top of that is... Yeah, chicken tenders, I think, seems lazy because it's like, oh, you're just going to throw it on chicken tenders. And I don't know the actual process of chicken tenders, but it's also something that's 
to me, decently drastically different than the other fried elements that they put on their menu. So like when you wok fry something, you are tossing it in hot oil in a giant flame in a giant wok. I I doubt that's how they did their tenders because I don't know how they would do it wok fried style, which means in my head at least, that they're they're building another process to introduce these chicken tenders to the market. And again, do I think chicken tenders is the most like innovative vessel? No, but it's innovative for them because they don't normally do chicken. So I think it's innovative enough to be on this list, but I'm gonna take like the middle ground in between you two And guys. the one thing I will say too is that Panda Express really didn't deliver as big on the Sichuan peppercorn flavor. I think if it was a lot more of like the, you actually got that numbing sensation, yeah. I think the spice level was fine for like people who like don't really eat a lot of spicy food, but I think there needed to be that level of Sichuan peppercorn numbness to really say, hey, this is what Sichuan food but is. Can we, exactly. is but can we also it. talk about that it just fucking tasted good? It tasted like, really it, good. Like yeah. this whole time is like, yeah, we can criticize for not being as innovative a vessel, but it is innovation at its core. It's Szechu- It's a nationally distributed Szechuan dish that no one else has the scale to do. That, that's innovation. And then on top of that, even if we all would maybe want more peppercorn or more spice, fucking tasted great. And so it was, was super dope. And that, But why I'm, again, I'm being a cynical asshole about it, <laughs> but why I think it's why I was saddened again I enjoyed it I had it I would order it again but why I fear it might get taken off the menu if there's not a response to it is the the marketer and foodie in me is sad that it didn't hurt people more in the spice because that because like cool walking a middle ground doesn't get you anywhere well no but panda is the middle ground like orange chicken isn't anywhere else because they specifically devised a formula to tone down flavor for the american palate and so that's what i'm saying is like if you want if you want fucking quote-unquote real chinese food like you're not going to panda express like you're going there because they're they have the sensibilities of the American palate. No matter where you are, from Middle America to Metro America, there's people that line up for their but shit. But all I say is why it's game changing in that sense. I know we're talking about the innovation point, but the bigger thing is the conversation that everyone is having because Panda Express decided to introduce Sichuan cuisine. It's not the best representation of the cuisine, but now you have Sichuan being used in words in marketing at a nationwide scale. So even if you've tried this and you weren't at all impressed by it, you're now at least curious enough to go and try real Sichuan food and you're giving real Sichuan food a bigger market as a result. And I think that's what makes it more game changing. I'll concede to the silent innovation that Panda Express had this year. Uh, Again, I think they would have made more noise uh, if if it was a yeah I, if, I, I if it you. was a spicier dish it would and the conversations that you're talking about people having I don't think people are having that much conversation about the Szechuan from Panda Express I think it got put on the menu people that don't know what Szechuan is were like got it sounds like one of the other Chinese words that's on the menu you know what I mean like I don't think people are thinking about it in the geeky way that we are and it didn't punch them in the face enough 
to like have a further conversation you're trying to fucking spicy shit at pan express right no i never heard not a single that. person is saying that if you ask someone if they've had it did it taste good yes i'd be lying if i said anything else but am i gonna tell anyone else about it not a fucking soul not a think, soul do you think it needed to be more spicy more Sichuan pepper so that it just completely numbed your tongue yes because you want to you want a conversation you want people sharing on your twitter yo my mouth is numb you want people who don't know what Szechuan food is and just don't uh, analogize it with the region, but they analogize it with the way they make their mouth feel. Uh, Pan Express had an opportunity to sell a drug legally through this peppercorn, and they didn't. That's that's. But I, I understand why they didn't, because it's that silent innovation that you guys are bringing up. It makes sense. It's what Pan Express is known for. Sure. Fuck me for wanting Pan Express <laughs> to be really fucking dope for once and like punch people in the face. You don't want it. I don't think people get turned off. If you if you, if you you didn't like it, you just get what you, oh, yeah, I'm sticking to my orange chicken. I'm sticking to my broccoli beef. Good for you. But like you'll punch some people in the face so they talk about it again. Because if you didn't love the Szechuan peppercorn, that you probably just get what you wanted. So leave it for the outliers because... It's not the first time a major chain doesn't put an outlier on the menu to drive people in as well. That's what I was hoping for for it. And frankly, if they're, I don't know what the word is on if they're taking it on or off. If they took it off, it's not a, a net positive. They tried it for a little bit. It was silent innovation of how to do it. But, you know, anyways, that was the Pan Express conversation. I, I can see why it made the list and them trying and, and doing that. So, um Anyways, I'm I'm kind of excited about number six. Can we go to number six? You guys, or you guys don't? You guys feel anything else about Panda? No, I think we can go to six. Yeah, I'm okay. good. Let's go to six. I know you're hyped on this one. I, I'm hyped, and my Arabs listening <laughs> are gonna think I'm a fucking dummy. But <laughs> Halal Guys makes number six on the list of fast food game changers of 2019. Full disclosure, Halal Guys is also a partner of ours. Um, Halal Guys is also the smallest one on this list. They don't is, even have 100 locations. They're they're closing in, but yeah, full disclosure, everything. The, the, between Halal Guys and Pyology, they're, they're the smaller footprints on this list, but the amount of revenue they're doing is, is, is pretty sizable. staggering and yeah. sizable, so it's worth mentioning on this list. Uh, Halal Guys is important for a few different reasons. I think outside of bringing Arab American food to mainstream, mainstream and to again, be like the Panda Express it's the of Panda American Express. food. Yeah, it's, yeah. Fine, it's mm -hmm. fine. I'm fine with it. It's not the best Mediterranean, Lebanese, any, in any sense of the word. It's, it's, it's a nice amalgamation of like why I like Del Taco. Right. Right. And so it's not Mexican food. It's Del Taco. Halal Guys is not any particular... Middle Eastern flavor, it's halal, guys. Um, but the fact that they're this growing chain, pretty young if you think about it, I think they were birthed in 90, 1990 on the streets of New York City out of a cart. They have one of the doper branding stories of yeah. our current generation, like how McDonald's like innovated in a drive-through and that was cool California culture. This is a very New York brand. It's more New York than it is Arab. You yeah. know, or, or Middle Eastern at all. And the fact that this year alone, again, we have Insight because they're a partner of ours, but they launched uh, lamb, spicy lamb yeah. as a protein on a national fast food spot. No, menu? I don't think anyone else or any other nationwide chain has ever put lamb on the menu at that scale. And it blew out. It wasn't like a side thing right like like panda express we're gonna do like a mediocre like we're gonna try like a middle ground lamb like it's not all the way lamb don't worry it's cut with chicken it's fine like they put lamb on the menu yeah. 
at a fast food spot and it was good and they sold out. So like, you know, for, to me, I'm like, okay, cool. And, and we know what's coming in their pipeline, right? We can't yet announce all of it, but for a Middle Eastern joint to make this much noise, that's not like Greek, which has been readily acceptable mm-hmm. um, through like Daphne's and stuff like that. And even Daphne's, I don't know if they like reached this level of scale and acceptance. So why I appreciate them being on this list is like, even if this is your first taste of hummus or falafel at scale, it's not a bad first taste for you. It's a good gateway drug into hopefully trying other Middle Eastern food. Actually, Halal Guys has a bigger reach than Daphne's. Daphne's only has 56 locations. Halal Guys has about 80. Mm -hmm. But also, I wrote a couple of years ago looking at a few different Middle Eastern chains that could be the one to like bring Middle Eastern and Mediterranean food at the mainstream level to the entire country. And I think my top candidate was Halal Guys. And two years later, we're seeing them emerge as that top candidate with the size, with the scale, and with the innovation. And I think there's a story of, of Halal Guys that connects to our generation stronger. Also because I'm trying to connect some of the things that we've said between Panda Express and Halal Guys because there are some similarities in regards to being a filter for a specific like food. And why Halal Guys, I, th- I think, appeals to us more in a contemporary context is that this food was born from the carts and the streets from of streets. New York. Mm-hmm. And if you experience them over the past two years from the carts, it's this amazing visceral experience where you can like you're smelling the steam off of these carts. You're you're interacting with guys that you can tell have made the dish that they're preparing you tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of times like you're getting it's almost like a cast iron skillet you feel like you're getting the flavor on of that flat top of you know decade of food that's you know that's kind of gross to some people but kind of amazing for other people right that there's like this rich heritage that's been here and then by the way like we're going to scale it and still bring you spring you this flavor in different parts of the country and so i think that's where i resonate with you eli when you talk about panda express had the opportunity to do real szechuan like yeah that is it is they are the only ones that have that opportunity and you know did they make the business decision to filter it down like you know, they did. And was that smart? You know, from a revenue perspective, probably. But I think where we're getting at in 2019, and especially for this, like the game changers of 2019, is we're going to continually respect and adore the brands that say, you know what, we've, we've done that for a long time in our business, but it's it's time to do something differently. Because the only way I think you're going to continue to have a business, no matter the scale, is by being different. Because the sheer amount of food that's available in all areas and all platforms is like, it, it it's a tough world. And so I kind of want to make that illusion real quick is that, you know, Halal Guys, I think, is doing, like, by bringing lamb... You know, it's something that you could potentially see yourself getting at the cart and it's available in their 80 locations, scaling the meat alone just across the country because we have an inside look is like, I, we know that wasn't easy, right? Finding a purveyor of lamb, not yeah, only lamb. lamb, 
halal yeah. lamb, right? Like mm-hmm. we're still talking about halal guys. Like I think people in California, we we totally forget that first word because it's just kind of a ubiquity of the chain now. But it's like no, this meat has to follow certain practices in order for it to like you know name name any other restaurant where you can get halal meat in scale the one time i had to buy halal meat for a friend that came in from toronto i had to go into a no-name shopping center find the 600 square foot butcher shop that had six cuts of meat for me and buy and buy one of their meats out like this is a what they're doing at scale is innovative from the sourcing perspective it's as good. well. It's good for culture because I didn't even think about it, but just the idea that we have a massively fast growing chain with halal in the name, in the name yeah. dog. Mm-hmm. They're not even hiding it. You know what I mean? So that I think that's good for culture right now in 2019 that be proud and be authentic and they're, and they're running with it. Absolutely. And, and, and I think if you look, they have like another hundred locations plus slated for development over the next three four years so if there was any like restaurant chain or fast food chain that was going to be the we got next the (laughs) next like big guy that's going to come out and rise up it's going to be the halal guys out of everyone that we're talking about yeah yeah so that that's why halal guys made the list and that high at the list yeah and last thing i wanted to mention is because they're a newer chain they're also doing things per location on a location level that are actually really interesting that you would normally only see like mom and pops doing. The franchise model they have is really interesting. Really They're interesting. not on as short a leash exactly. as you expect like Subway. Everything has to look exactly the yeah. same. They have the core attributes that remind you of Halal guys, the good red, the yellow color. The, the menu items, the sauces, those are all consistent. But then you have locations in Florida and in California that are doing the hot sauce challenges, <laughs> oh which God, is dude. like, which is like a vid- If you guys haven't seen it, I mean, just just Google Food Beast and Halal guys and look for the video with Eli, who the entire plate of food was red. And if you guys haven't had Halal guys, first try it out because I'm curious about your thoughts and and definitely hit us up afterward. But second is I'm not a spice guy. I do like three or four drops of this stuff. I'm in a good place. So lines of red sauce as a challenge, one is a legal liability. (laughs) So the fact that they're doing this as marketing means that they understand culture in a different way that other brands just would would never do. Let's be real. When you do Halal Guys hot sauce and it comes in like those ketchup packs, if you can do one of the ketchup packs, I'm impressed. People already look at you like you're crazy. It's hot, dude. It's got to be the hot. hot. It's got to also, it's got to be the hottest commercially chained hot sauce available it's hot yeah i agree i I can't name a single one that's even close Close. if y'all do that just let me go watch the video also if you walk into a law guys that video might be up too but yeah it's that hot sauce is so fuck it reminds you it brings you back to new york when you're going to these falafel stands these small shops where they warn you your hot (laughs) sauce is really hot like seriously seriously hot and it is burn your tongue off hot so yeah man hello guys doing it for the culture there so i i I respect that hey guys thanks for listening make sure to be on the lookout for the second part of this episode outlining the top five standouts of our 2019 fast food game changers 
This episode of The Ketchup is brought to you by Dean's Dairy Dip, the number one French onion dip in America, and the classic, cool, and creamy sponsor of Food Beast Kitchen League's Dean's Dip Off. We're pitting innovative chefs against Dean's Real Dippers in head-to-head recipe battles where the Dean's Dip-Off lets you join the live audience in trying to sabotage the competition. Yep, you can sabotage our contestants live, and no matter what, Dean's deliciousness stays intact. Check out the Food Beast Twitch page for the live streams, recaps, and Dean's Dip recipe videos, and look for Dean's Dip in your supermarket dairy case, because Dean's is Real Dip for Real Dippers.